if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. And we, I'm kind of hoping that Psalm 23 shapes our day today. And so before I do anything else, what I want to do is just read it and let us hear it fresh without talking too much about it. And as, as you hear this, I'd encourage you to see if you can work out what it is that God may be wanting to say to you as part of Psalm 23. So I'll just make sure I get that turned off there. And off there. There we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The theme of our weekend is soul refreshing. This question, what is it actually... not, not, not if you're, not, if you're not just using religious language, what does it actually mean to live with a refreshed soul? Or to put it another way, what does it mean to live from a place of emotional, spiritual and mental health? That's the question that's driving us because I think you'd agree, it's a crazy old world. And all of us, have moments in our life that are challenging. Where it can feel like what's going on in the inside is just a real mess. So what does it mean to live from a place of refreshing? And it is up front, it's, it's important to remember who's writing this. This is a guy who spent the majority of his life running for his life, who spent many years running from his son, who betrayed him, who knew what he ought to do in regards to a one woman in particular and did exactly the opposite and organised to have someone murdered. This is the guy that's writing this. 
one of the dangers can be we can look at Psalm 23 or the Bible and say, yeah, it's okay for them, they had it easy. I don't think by any measure David had it easy. But before we look at what he's actually saying, I just want to remind us, yesterday we were looking at Psalm 19 and there were two things I wanted you to hear from Psalm 19. I encourage you to go back and read it. The first one is, it starts uh, the skies, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. That there's something really important about placing yourself, I mentioned this thing called grounding. Uh, when, when, when people are trying to, when professionals are trying to help people cope with anxiety, what they try and do is teach them the skill of grounding. And all it is is saying, okay, what can I feel right now? What can I touch? What can I see? What can it, what, what does it, where am I? And I think the Bible encourages us to ground ourselves because often our internal world can be messy, can't it? And so you see everybody else from the context of all the unresolved stuff in you. And so the Bible starts, Psalm 19 starts by saying, look up. Today I really want to encourage you to find times, look up at the great western tears. Look up at the sky. Reach down and feel the, the grass. As we go down to the bush, smell the bush. There's a bush has a, this Aussie bush has a fantastic smell. And, and, and touch the bark on the trees. Be here now. I, I think one of, the, one of the things that Jesus, at the core of his teaching, the, the, the idea we are to seek first the kingdom and not to worry about tomorrow. Most of us spend a lot of our time living in the unresolved. Either dealing with stuff from our past, our histories that are painful or worrying about what's coming up in the future. And this core of Jesus' teaching is for us to be here now. The other thing I wanted us to get from Psalm 19, I just mentioned it in passing, is that we're playing in God's playground. The second half of Psalm 19 is kind of saying that, saying that at the core of the universe is joy, but God created the, the world with boundaries there's a, a quote in the notes so you'll find that the notes for all our teaching sessions are on the Version app if, you, if you're after them and there's a quote by a historian who said the world is built on moral foundations one of my heroes uh, Martin Luther King Jr said that the arc of history bends towards justice that ultimately, this historian James Anthony Froud said, ultimately, in the long run, it is well with the good. In the long run, the wicked get what's coming to them. That is, the, the world is built on moral foundations. And that's a, also an insight at the heart of, the, of, of our gospel of the, of the Bible is that there are two sides to you. There is what the Bible calls the spirit, the part of you created in the image of God, and there's also what the Bible calls the flesh, the part of you that wants to minimise pain and maximise pleasure. 
And at the heart of the spiritual journey is the question, what does it mean for me to live the way God created me to live? There is a word that gets translated as transgression. And often, one of, the, one of the mistakes we can think about God is that he's some bad person in the sky that wants to tell us off when we do the wrong stuff. No, like, the, the, or, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments. Has anyone seen that movie? Uh, it's a, an older movie from the 1950s. Charlton Heston is, played Moses. Uh, and... Interesting enough, Cecil B. DeMille, the producer of that, said something about the way the world, the way this is God's playground. He said, and he said this, nobody ever broke the Ten Commandments. Nobody ever broke the Ten Commandments, is what Cecil B. DeMille said. They only ever broke themselves against the Ten Commandments. You can choose if you want, this is what the picture of Psalm 19 is, you can choose if you want to go against God's rules for his playground, feel free. But if you're to be honest and you look back at your life, isn't it true you carry scars from all the times you have chosen to play according to your rules and not God's rules. The child, that Cecil B. DeMille is right, that when you choose to go against God's way of doing stuff, it doesn't lead you to be more free, it leads you to be more broken, doesn't it? So that, they're the two key things we want to get as the starting point of the conversation. What does it mean to live in a, from a refreshed soul. What does it mean to live in spiritual, in mental, in psychological health? What does it mean to live in that place? Now I want to come to Psalm 23. And I, I don't know how you find the first line of Psalm 23, but it's actually the key, the key to living from a refreshed soul. And the psalm we'll do tomorrow during church, we'll be unpacking how you actually do this. What does the first line of Psalm 23 say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or in the more modern translation, I lack nothing. Can you say that? Can you say that? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's interesting, we have a whole industry, the advertising industry, trying to get you to believe that's not true. 
but also it is normal to think, well, I, I, I do lack things. I don't know, everybody has their own poison. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's relationships. Other people, it's health. Uh, for some people, it's a nice car. I don't know what your particular thing is. But I, I, it's actually really important to know what you think you lack. Because it's going to keep pulling you away from living from a refreshed soul. Yeah, the, right, the author of the NIV application commentary says, the psalmist doesn't mean that Yahweh shepherds us by giving everything we desire. Psalm 23 isn't saying, I, I don't, I've got everything I want. Rather, it's saying, and this is what the, the author of the commentary says, those who trust in Yahweh as sheep do in a shepherd will never lack for whatever they need. Or to quote uh, the great English poet, Mick Jagger. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well, you just might find you get what you need. If God is truly your God, just stop and think about that. The God of the universe, the, the same one that flung stars into space, is your friend. And the central point of Jesus' teaching is if you seek first my kingdom, I will give you everything you need. It's a central, Matthew 6.33. There's part of you that wants to tell you you, you are not okay because you don't have and each of us will feel that sentence differently. It is always a lie. And it is always a key to fragmentation. The more you live in what you don't have, the more you'll live in a place of fragmentation. So this little psalm starts with this revolutionary idea the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. A few centuries later, the Apostle Paul would write, I've learnt to be content, whatever my circumstances. Do you reckon you can say that? I, he says, I know what it is to be in need. This is Philippians 4. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What, what is it you're trying to reach for that you need to start to let go of? You will not be able to live from a refreshed soul, from a place of emotional, spiritual, mental health, if you are continually saying, thinking you're not okay, that something is missing. 
a, a theologian from Poland, Miroslav Volf, lived through the, the Great Revolution there and, and he said, as he was reflecting on what does it mean for the church, he said one of the, one of the great challenges is uh, for each and every one of us, we can base our identity on one of two things. We can base it on what we're not or we can base it on what we are. He said, you can base your identity on rejecting other people's beliefs, other, other, on, on saying, you know, I, I, I'm not happy unless I have that or I don't want to do life like that. You can base your life pushing against. Or as Christians or as anything, you can base it by, on giving your allegiance, by saying, rather, I am a child of God. I, give my, I base my identity on what I have, not what I don't have. And from that place, from that place of saying, I have everything I need, what can life look like? Well, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And this is, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. A a guy who was both a theologian and a shepherd, his name was a a guy by the name of Philip Keller, wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 and he says this, it's almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of fear. Knowing that God is your shepherd, if you really knowing that God is your shepherd, means you don't have to fear. Because of their social behaviour within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they're free from friction with others of their kind. As you know that God is your shepherd you don't have to base your identity on what other people think of you. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. As you know that God's your shepherd, the little annoying things of your life don't have to determine your life. And only when free of those pests, will they relax? And it can be like that for us. He says, lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. It's not superficial. It's interesting for me being here. Um, This village, like we... From 1995 through till uh, we left to go to Canada in 2012... This village was a a really important point of reference. We lived here from 2000 
to 2005, and then again from 2010 to 2012. Uh, and some of the best moments of my life happened in this village, and also some of the worst moments of my life happened in this village. And, and I don't know how it works for you, but I, there, there have been lots of times where I, I would walk up and down just here and even in this hall, and I go, God, where are you? Why the hell do you let this stuff happen? Do you ever have moments like that? I don't... At, at this weekend, as we look at the Psalms... I don't want to just talk nice religious words. I want us to wrestle with what does it actually mean to live from a place of a refreshed soul. One of the truths I can tell you is Ultimately, when you know that God is your shepherd, you don't have to be determined by your circumstances. And I think that's what David's trying to tell us. He, but he's not idealistic. You see, the very next thing he says, he, he refreshes my soul... He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. How do you know you're on the right path? One of the lies that our word will tell you, and even the Christ, Christ, people in the Christian church sometimes will tell you, you'll know you're on the right path when everything feels right. <laughs> when everything feels like everything's working okay when you have a deep sense of inner peace. That's a lie. Do you know how I know that? What's the next line? He guides me on right paths for his name's sake, not for my comfort, interestingly enough. What's the next line? even though I walk through the darkest valley. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I need you to hear this. Because we don't say it enough, and often the at a, at, a, at, a, at a superficial level, the church sometimes says exactly the opposite. I need you to hear this. The right paths are sometimes dark valleys. And I guarantee... that if you haven't been through a dark valley yet, hang around. It's coming. You see, 
we follow a bloke who hung on a cross and he said, you want to know what following me means? Get your own cross. We follow a bloke, the son of God, who reached a point where he said, God, I just can't do this. Please, if there's any other way, I don't want to do it. If the Son of God gets to that point, we probably shouldn't be surprised if we hit a few Gethsemane moments. One of the guys that's been a real mentor for me, as I've read... Uh, is uh, N.T. Wright. And he says, because Jesus bore the cross uniquely for us, we don't have to purchase forgiveness again, it's been done. But, because, as he himself said, following him involves taking up the cross, we should expect as the New Testament tells us repeatedly, that to build on his foundation will be to find the cross etched into the pattern of our life and work over and over again. We would rather that this wasn't so, wouldn't we? And we twist, Wright says, and turn to avoid it. We find ourselves in Gethsemane saying, Lord, can this really be the way? If I've been obedient so far, why is all this happening to me? Surely you don't want me to be feeling like this. Sometimes, indeed, the answer may be no. It is possible we've indeed taken a wrong road and must now turn and go a different way. But often the answer is simply that we need to stay in Gethsemane. One of the fathers of psychotherapy, Carl Jung, said that neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. Neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. We have whole industries. The people we pay the most in our society are the people that help us avoid suffering. And the people who take us out of reality. And Jesus calls us to be here now, to experience life now. But he doesn't do it without the promise. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. In your dark valleys, we're going to talk more about this tomorrow morning, you're going to have two choices. 
you are going to, you, you can rail against the valley. You can say what's wrong with the valley. You can see all the problems with the valley. Or you can look to Jesus and stop avoiding legitimate suffering. Do you know one of the ways you can permanently damage a butterfly and kill a butterfly is to savour the suffering of trying to break through the cocoon. If you've got a razor and, create, and open the cocoon, you will kill the butterfly because it, it actually needs the fight to strengthen its wings and arms and legs so that it can be strong enough to fly away. Too many of us want to rip open our cocoons and avoid the fight of real life, to avoid the dark valley. So we spend our lives in front of the TV or whatever particular poison you have to avoid reality. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's this beautiful picture. The shepherd's rod, uh, it was like, the, it was like a, a long stick with a bit of a nail at the end, and it would just help the sheep stay on the track and not fall off. The staff had a bit of a crook, and it was for yanking you back on the path when you'd fallen off path. Jesus doesn't promise to save you, but he says, I'm going to comfort you through the pain. You are going to have dark valleys in your life. And as I reflect on my dark valleys, as I reflect on some of the times here, some of the most horrible moments in my life happened in this village. And I know there, there were times where I looked to Jesus and I felt carried and I felt, and I, and, and I, I wouldn't wish some of the stuff we went through on anybody, but I felt carried, and I, and the fight through that has made me a better person. I also have to admit, though, there were times in the dark valleys where I looked to the dark valley, and I looked to run away from the dark valley, and I looked to escape it, and I didn't look to Jesus. And it didn't make me happier. <laughs> it didn't make me... It, I couldn't say that God refreshed my soul when I avoided the dark valley. And so... We then have this picture. And this is part, part of what enables us to go through the dark valleys is the knowledge all dark valleys are temporary. You need to hear that all dark valleys are temporary. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He doesn't say God's going to take away all your enemies. What he does say is going to, the picture is that God is your host. This is his, his house. He's, you're, not, you're not inviting him into your party. He's inviting you to his party. This is his playground, remember. And what he's saying is, in, in the presence of the people, of the dark valleys, in the presence of all this painful, I'm going to give you two things. Oil, which for us, you know, I don't really know much what to do in oil apart from, they've got this spray stuff that you use for cooking bacon. It's helpful. Um, 
for, for them, oil was how you refreshed. For us, if you, like, the closest to understand the picture is uh, Hum and, I and Mark and the um, land track a couple of years now. And had the duty up five days, days on track. Uh, she didn't obviously have a peg on her nose or anything, but, but there, is, there is something about when, when you ha- had the luxuries of a regular shower and when you've been sweating. And it, This is the picture. In the Middle East, it was hot and messy and, and, and the oil was... Well, the closest thing we have to it is it's like a, a warm shower or a warm bath picture. In the midst of the pain of life, God wants to bring you that. And he wants to fill your cup to overflowing. He wants to give you everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. And there's promise. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We only, most of us only get maybe 80 around the sun, maybe 90. With modern technology, maybe 95. Few of us may, may get 100 trips around the sun. Your dark valley and the future you look forward to. And the reality is, even, the, even though there is ultimate picture we look forward to, the reality, the reality is there, there's this other promise in the New Testament that all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his plan. As Leanne and I drove up to Polina this time, we're reflecting on some of the times, but also some of the bad times that happened here. And I, and I was just saying, gee, I wouldn't wish some of the stuff on my worst enemy, but gee, I'm free a whole now, some of those. That's, that can be cold comfort when you're in the middle of the dark valley. But if you look back, and if you haven't avoided them, if you haven't developed a whole raft of neurosis by trying to avoid the legitimate suffering of the darkness, if you've faced it with Jesus, you'll find, like the fly trying to break out of the cocoon, you, and you'll start to see as you look in the mirror, more and more in the rearview mirror, and you'll start to learn you can do this. Valley after another. There are other times, but it's important to know that when it does feel like that, he is with us. And so, I encourage you, in, when we get down, we're going to have morning tea in a minute, I'm going to pray. Part, remember, part of the key to emotional, spiritual, mental health is lifting your eyes from the chaos here and realising, wow, God's big. He makes some good stuff and it's going to be okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for David. It's clear that he didn't avoid legitimate suffering. He stepped into it. And 
it's clear that he seemed pretty spiritually healthy. As we, ta- as we come to this weekend, can you help us? Please help us. Be open to what you have for us. Help us glimpse who you are. And, and help us, whether we're in a dark valley at the moment or, or whether we're on a mountaintop at the moment. Help us not be looking to our circumstances, but be looking to you. Forgive us, Jesus, for the times where we put all our energy into avoiding Gethsemane. Help us be open to the whole life you have for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.